All right, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 today for the whole day, Ephesians 5. And uh, this is kind of going to be more of like a Bible study style of a message where we're going to go verse by verse, see what it's saying, see what it means, how it applies to our life. And the title of the message today is, It's Time to Wake Up. Hey, all right, amen. I already got an amen. That's going to be good. So uh, along those lines, it's, uh, you're going to see that what Paul is describing here in his letters to the Ephesians is super heavy, hard to hear stuff. I'm just warning you from the beginning. And uh, really, just so you know, it's way easier to sit there and listen than to be the guy here telling you this stuff. And so if you want to say amen a lot, that'd be so great. I'd really appreciate it. Because uh, I just tell you, it's really hard, but it's really coming from a place of grace, a place of love for the gospel, for Jesus, and for people. Uh, so just please be aware of that. Um, the core of this message comes in verse 14. Verse 14, where Paul says, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And he's quoting like an indirect quote from the Old Testament here. Therefore it says, he said, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said this, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so we have to ask, why is he saying that? Obviously, Paul is implying here that people are asleep, right? Like somebody's snoozing on the job. Somebody needs to wake up. And he's, he's not referring to physical sleep in this case, what he's talking about is people who have their eyes closed in a spiritual sense. People that are, are walking around who are oblivious to what's happening around them and naive to the spiritual reality as if they were asleep or even dead. That's why he says, rise from the dead. So he's saying, wake up. But why? why what seems to be like the problem? What's the urgency, Paul? Can't we sleep in a little bit longer? And so if we go back to the beginning of the chapter... We see right away that Paul is setting the standard as to what a Christian should be like. This is the foundation. So if you've ever wondered, what am I supposed to do? Here it is in verse 1. He tells you. <clears throat> he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. In verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That's the standard. Paul tells us the standard for a Christian is this, to imitate God and to walk in love. That's it. That's in your notes, to imitate God and to walk in love. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing with that? Right? How are we doing in our efforts to imitate God? How are we doing in our efforts to walk in love? When you walk in the room, do people celebrate or are they like, oh man, she's here, right? How are we doing? What is the biblical definition for imitating God? And walking in love. What does it even mean? How do I know? You know what? It's important to ask those questions because there are so many different opinions out there that claim to know how God would act. I think that God would be like this. Therefore, this is why I live my life this way. Or people claim that they have the definition of love. And, and then when you open your Bible and read it, you're like, whoa, that's really different, right? Like really off. <laughs> and so we can't make assumptions we have to read the Bible. And so that's what we're going to do. In the next verse, we're going to see if there are some answers to these questions. Are you ready? Yes. Remember, I warned you. Okay, Ephesians 3, I mean 5 and 3. He says, so you got to imitate God. You need to walk in love. But sexual immoral, immorality 
and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as, as is proper among saints. And he says, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That should be what comes out of your mouth. And so here we see Paul kind of answering that question for us in the opposite. He's giving a very clear description of what the opposite of God is. God is not sexually immoral. God is not impure. He is not covetous. And if you're wondering what that word means, covetous basic, covetousness is basically idolatry, specifically in the area of wealth or possessions that belong to someone else. Right, And so just a real simple example would be like the celebrity culture that we all live in where we see these celebrities and they have this awesome life and money and fame and influence and all the women throw themselves at him and I don't have that and I want that and I'm depressed about my life and I just can't stop following this person. I'm obsessed with them. I'm idolizing them. That's what covetousness is. And God is not these things. He's not sexually immoral. He's not impure. He's not covetous. And if any of these things, Paul is saying, are in our life, then by, by default, we're not successfully imitating him, right? That's just how it is. And so, okay, so for some of us, we may think, well, so what? <laughs> I, I'm not imitating God perfectly. Oh, well, right? Don't you think that's like kind of an unrealistic expectation? He's God, I'm just a guy. He still loves me, right? So what's the big deal? Let's move on. Well, it is a big deal because there are consequences when we're not walking in love, and there are consequences when we're not imitating God. Bad things can happen. Let's look at verse five. He says, for you may be sure of this. In other words, I guarantee that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So what's at stake? Our inheritance, our inheritance from God. Now, you may have your opinions on if, if you get an inheritance from mom and dad or grandma, grandpa someday, that'd be great. But if not, oh, well, but nobody wants to miss out on an inheritance from God Almighty. Amen? That's a big deal. And so our biblical expectation is to imitate God, walk in love. But if we don't, we lose our inheritance. And that is a sobering thought to consider. So when we look at our culture today, these three things that Paul has outlined, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, these things have become the norm in our culture. They're just accepted, sometimes even celebrated. And some things that I want to I list here, just so that they're clear, and, and not out because I, I like to point fingers and pick certain things out, but because Paul has kind of laid this outline out for us, I want to I talk about specifically what he means, things that fall under the category of sexual immorality include things like this, sex outside of marriage, infidelity, having multiple sexual partners, that's just expected now, you haven't been with more than one person, what a loser, right, that's what people say, homosexuality, bisexuality, transsexuality, pornography, it's a huge one, and pedophilia. Now, everyone up until that last one, you probably were like, yep, yeah, yep, that's normal, that's accepted. Pedophilia? Why did you say that? Well, I want you to be aware that in the last couple years, like two years, I think, there's a new movement in our culture, in America, 
to say that I was born this way. I was attracted, I'm just born to be attracted to little kids. And so y'all should just accept me. Matter of fact, you should make it legal for me to do that. And really what they're doing is, <laughs> it's, it's really horrible, right? But like they're, they're stealing what um, the common argument for the homosexual community, uh, really everybody, I was born this way argument and just taking it like, yeah, I was born this way. And it's unloving of you to tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> Let the record show that was not me. <laughs> Where am I? Yes, okay. So that's weird. Impurity, Paul lists out. <laughs> Impurity could include things like being deceitful, lying, uh, but gossiping. Ooh, backstabbing. I mean, these are just common things. Like you live in the corporate world. Of course, if you don't do that, you ain't gonna survive. Of course we do that. He even speaks to bad language and crude jokes. And I don't really think that he's, he has a heart of legalism in that. Like don't swear. Um, like you, you hit your hand with a thumb or, not, or <laughs> you hit your thumb with a hammer. And, uh, and I heard the S word come out of your mouth, you're gone to hell. I don't think that's what he means. But there are, I have friends who, I'm not joking and I'm not exaggerating at all, they cannot say two sentences without an F-bomb coming out. Wow. Like, it's just part of their language. That's what he's saying. He's like, there's something impure in there if that's always what, if everything ends up with like a crude sexual joke, it's like, dude, there's something wrong there, right? That's what he's saying. And these are just some of the challenges that come against us imitating God and walking in love. But Paul's not done. He goes on to list more of these challenges. And the next verse, it speaks about this really powerful thing called deception. Can everyone say deception? deception. It's important to speak it out loud because deception thrives in secrecy and in silence. So we just call it out. That's deception. In, in verse six, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So here we have another equation. He says, don't do this, because if you do, this will happen. Deception brings the wrath of God. Did you know that? That's something that we don't hear a lot in church. We don't talk about the wrath of God very much. But deception, according to Paul, brings the wrath of God. It comes upon the sons of disobedience. And I don't know about you, but if, if I'm walking in some sort of deception, I would like to know. Please tell me. I don't want the wrath of God, right? Like, that's a loving thing to do. But like, bro, you're not believing something that's true. Verse 7. <clears throat> Therefore, do not become partners with them, those who deceive you with empty words. For at one time, you were darkness, right? You kind of got a pass, kind of. Because you, you didn't know Jesus. You weren't saved. You weren't forgiven by a sin. You didn't have the Bible. But now, you are light in the world. So, walk like it. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Amen. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's stop right there. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Another scripture says that we as Christians are called to hate what God hates and love what God loves. 
And oftentimes when that scripture gets used, people say, well, how, you're saying you hate sinners. You hate people that do bad things. No, that's not at all what it means. It means we hate the sin. We love the sinner. God hates all of our sin. It's terrible. And so we need to know what is pleasing to the Lord. We have to be able to discern that. But how do you know? Unless you're reading your Bible. It's been given to you. The answers are right there. And that's why I kind of gave you a warning on this because it's like, oh, that's in the Bible? Maybe I should read my Bible. Man, there's some juicy stuff in here. Amen. Right? Verse 11. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead what? Expose them. Expose them. We are called as Christians to expose the darkness. I will say it again. We're called as Christians to expose the darkness. We are not called to be silent and respectful while the world burns around us, while people walk into darkness. We are not called to that. Paul says expose it. Verse 12, for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. It's so gross. It's so bad out there. It's embarrassing to talk about. But when anything is exposed by the light, guess what? It becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And the most loving thing we can do is when we see somebody wandering around in the darkness about to take a step off a cliff, say, stop, let me get you. That's gonna hurt. Right? It is not loving to be like, good luck. Love you. Hope you don't die. Right? That is not loving. And so what I want to do is, is I just want to obey uh, on two specific areas what Paul has commanded us to do in exposing the darkness. We could spend the rest of the day about talking about all the things that are under that category of deception and darkness. But I feel like the Lord called me to, to highlight two of them. And I'm just going to trust the Lord that he's right. Because I, when I say these things, you're prob- you might be like, man, that guy, he's, he's a bigot, he's lying, whatever. These are unpopular topics. And uh, please give me grace as I try to obey what God has called me to do. One of the, the top deceptions and most popular in our world right now is this deception of gender confusion and gender identity. This lie that says a seven-year-old boy can choose to be a girl or a seven-year-old girl can choose to be a boy or any age for that matter. I've just changed my mind. I feel like I'm a girl, so I'm gonna be a girl now. And that there are hundreds of different genders and that uh, we need to learn all the different pronouns for the hundreds of different genders. And if you don't say the right pronoun, then you're practicing hate speech. Okay, so... You guys know this is present. It's, this is not like a secret. It's popular. And the Bible says God created male and female. Amen. <laughs> yes. Now, we say amen because, not because we want to make people feel stupid or feel bad, but because people are looking for answers and hope and purpose and identity in their life in all of the wrong places. And if you go down this path of gender identity change, I guarantee you it's going to destroy your life. 
It's absolutely going to destroy your life. But here's the catch. Watch out for this because if you take, take those steps at first, maybe for like a week, maybe your friends will be like, oh, dude, that's so awesome. Good for you, man. Way to go. I'm behind you. We support you, bro. And, and like maybe some celebrities will be like, that's awesome. You know, this is a social justice issue and you'll feel like really important and cool for like a minute. But then right after that, you will be thrust into a dark depression, a crushing anxiety. And most of these stories end, sadly, in suicide, in death. So I realize I made everybody uncomfortable by bringing that up. And, and it's hard to talk about. Like Paul said, it's, it's kind of shameful to talk about. But man, when people are right about to go over the edge, come on, we got to say something. This, you're going to ruin your life. And we love you enough to tell you that, right? Yes. Amen. Amen. Another one quickly. Okay, the uncomfort is going to just extend for a minute here. Um, another one is the issue of homosexuality. has been very, very popular for decades now. But I remember, I'm, I'm not that old, but I remember in the 80s when, uh, when it was still taboo, something you don't talk about. It's just embarrassing. But then in the 90s, I remember there was one day in Denver, downtown Denver, they had the gay pride parade. And it was like, whoa, that's, that is radical. Well, fast forward to 2021. Now we have the Gay Pride Month. I think it's June. Is that right? The whole month dedicated to that. And we have international corporations backing it and celebrating it. And you see Starbucks well, like with rainbow flags and Ikea the other day. They're selling rainbow bags. I was at Ikea. And just like everybody's behind it and the, those who have great influence celebrating. And I'm here to tell you, I love you enough to say that they are lying to you. This is the exact same situation that it will lead to destruction. It will destroy your life. Even though some cool celebrity says it's great and, and other celebrities raise their kids that way and put it on Instagram for everyone to go, oh, I want to be covetous and have their life because they say it's cool. Everybody, just like my sin or anybody else's sin, we struggle and we should not be celebrating sin because it leads to death. My sin is not any greater than yours. If I have the temptation to cheat on my wife, well, it might be fun for like two minutes, but then I'll destroy my life. And the wrath of God will be introduced into my life. And so if anybody sees me going down that path, you better smack me in the face. For real, like stop it. Don't you care about your, your wife? Don't you care about your kid? You know what I'm saying? Like you're gonna destroy your life. I love you enough to smack you in the face. I, I, I'm not saying we should all do that. You can smack me in the face. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> there will be a bruise. <laughs> I'd take a bruise over the other alternatives. Thank you. Paul says, walk in the light and expose the darkness. Yes. And so Paul, after all of that, it was the lead up to verse 14 where he says, therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. How many know we want Christ to be shining on us more than we want all the little things of this world, right? Oh, wake up, come on, arise from the dead. Paul is saying that this is what it looks like to be asleep. And when you look at, around at our world today that we live in through the lens of what Paul is describing here, you can see how our culture and how even many Christians are asleep. It's like, yeah, it's cool. Jesus loves you. There are even churches that teach this is okay. Directly contradicting Ephesians 5. They're asleep. And the irony here is that what Paul describes as being asleep is precisely what defines this new popular 
religion called wokeness. Wokeness, if you're not familiar what it means to be woke, woke is a colloquialism for having woken up to reality, having your eyes open to quote reality or, or to seeing things clearly. And it's this argument before, it's like, man, I, th- I thought I was wrong. I thought all these questions and confusing thoughts that I had were all just wrong and I was a bad person. And then I became woke and I realized I'm born this way. And the system's just rigged against me and I'm a victim and they're the oppressors. That's what wokeness is. And it's ironic because they're actually talking about having their eyes open, but Paul is saying the opposite is happening. You're, you're literally closing your eyes and calling it awake. It's opposite in the sense that wokeness operates saying things like absolute truths, like the Holy Scriptures, or like gender, are now regarded as falsehoods. And people who are woke embrace lies, known lies, and they just call them truth. I am now a woman. Like, that's true now. It's my truth. When everyone else is like, boy, that just doesn't seem true, you know? This is wokeness, and it's what Paul describes as being asleep. And wokeness, I'm not trying to pick on it, although it's an incredibly powerful movement, we need to talk about it. It's just one of many examples of how our world has been lulled to sleep, like, shh, good night. Another huge contributor to our sleepiness is one, again, as I stick my toe into sensitive territory, um, this issue is the influence of a dishonest media. A dishonest media. Now, I could spend a lot of time supporting that claim. That's not really what we're here for. But I'll just focus on one example. I'm going to show you a picture in a minute um, that (laughs) it just perfectly encapsulates the dishonesty of all the media in one picture. It's really incredible. Uh, Many of you remember the riots that spread throughout our country in the summer of 2020, a year and a half ago. And it was really amazing to to watch on my phone or on TV Entire cities just being burned to the ground from coast to coast. I'm watching that with my eyes. And then with my ears, I'm hearing journalists say, this is a really great thing. This is really positive. And so this picture I'm going to show you is the perfect example of what you see with your eyes is true. And then what the journalist is saying completely contradicts the truth. So let's put it up there real quick, right? <clears throat> Okay, so this guy right here, his name is Ali Velshi of CNN. And as, as you can see, he's standing in front of a burning building in Minnesota during, the, during that time. And the people in the mob set that building on fire. There are other buildings as well that were burning, including a police station. And I could have played the clip for you. It's on YouTube. I could have played it, but I felt like it was sens- too sensitive and there's a lot of ugly in it. But I just took a screenshot. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to quote word for word what he says. And you can fact check me. Go on YouTube. Look him up. Th- you'll find this. You'll see what I'm saying is word for word true. So standing in front of a burning building, he says, quote, I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is mostly a protest. It is not, generally speaking, unruly. But fires have been started, and then he moves on. Okay. Everybody who is awake knows that what he's saying is a complete lie. 
it's right in front of our faces. Obviously, it's not simply a protest. It's a riot. And to say that it's not unruly is totally ridiculous. It's a straight lie. This is clearly a violent and destructive riot. And so the question you have to ask yourself is why would he lie about that right to your face on national live television? Why is his motive, what, what, what would be his motivation in doing that? And maybe even a better question, why would he think he could get away with that? You just lied. You know why? Because he knows we're asleep. He's like, their eyes are closed. I could say whatever I want. Isn't that crazy? The only way that you could believe what this reporter said is if your eyes were closed. You said, tonight I'm going to watch TV, but I'm going to close my eyes and just listen. I got my eyes closed and this guy comes on and I hear him say, I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is mostly a protest. It's not generally speaking unruly. Fire, some fires have been started. And with your eyes closed, you say, oh, sounds like things are going okay in Minnesota. <laughs> All right, next. Nothing to worry about. You would have to be asleep to fall for this. And this is just one of the most blatant examples of how the media in general has lost all credibility. They just lie. Like, it's their language. There are thousands of other examples just like it. And they are simply a painful illustration of how sleepy we have become. So you can put that down, Ray, thank you. I've spoken before about how the level of deception that we face every day is like no other time in history. It is like a fire hose that's just blasting you in the face and from every direction, it's 360 degrees, you just get nailed with deception every day. It is overwhelming. And if we don't take steps to prevent it with the truth, then we eventually will just succumb to its pressure. Like, dude, I can't take it anymore. And you just lay down and you fall asleep. So I, just, I just believe you. It's too hard. I just believe you. How can we expose the darkness if we're asleep? How can we walk in the light if we are partnering with darkness? Obviously, we can't. That's why Paul says, wake up, wake up. You got to get up, man. You got to get up. And so, thank you for being polite and, and respectful and listening to that. I know that was hard and that that was basically 14 verses of a straight rebuke. It's hard to hear. It's true. Okay, right on. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad that's on video because the last service did not clap for that. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> so, so, I feel like reading this, I feel convicted and I feel like, hey, Paul, can you offer us any kind of hope, man? You've been like slapping us around. Is, can we get on to something a little more positive, please? And so Paul's like, all right, now that you're awake, let's start to move in this direction. I'm not here just to tell you all the things you shouldn't do, all the things you should say no to. Let's move in a positive direction. And he says this in verse 15. He says, now that you're awake, use your eyes to look Carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Who can shout out what the source of wisdom is? God, what did he give us so we know? The Bible. 
How do you know if you're, if you're being wise or not? Are you letting the news tell you? Are you letting your friends tell you? Or is the Bible your source of wisdom? Come on. Walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Paul is not sugarcoating this at all. The days are evil. Yo, people are going to hell. Are you seriously asleep? It's kind of like when Jesus was praying right before he went to get crucified and he's like, stay awake, guys, pray for me. And they're like, like, are you kidding me? Wake up, right? The days are evil. We cannot have our head in the sand and just be like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to offend anybody. This is offensive stuff because the culture has believed the lie. Not because it's false, but because they believe the lie. They're offended by it. That's why it's not God's fault. It's not your fault. And he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I just want to say this in, in as clear as I possibly can as one of your pastors, that when he says, understand what the will of the Lord is, what that means is, as a Christian, you are expected to know your Bible from cover to cover. You're expected. Not just some cool psalm. Psalm 23 is great. John 3.16, I heard that when I was, in, when I was a kid in uh, church. No, come on, let's get into Revelation. Come on, let's get into Daniel and some weird prophetic dreams in Ezekiel, right? You are expected to know it because if you don't, then you will not know what the will of the Lord is and you will fall for these lies that the world is obviously pushing as hard as they possibly can on you. You need to have your nose in that Bible, man. And, and you could say, that's why I come to church. Pastor, tell me what the Bible says. Okay, that's cool. But really our job is higher than that, is to teach you, you are expected to know your Bible. You got questions, we'll absolutely help you. But when it comes down to it, when you're at work or you're at school and somebody says, I think I'm gonna be a girl instead of a boy now. And they're like, what do you think? We're like, where's Pastor Darren? I wish this would have happened at church. Then he would have spoken about it. Like, no, you gotta know your Bible in those moments, right? Verse 18, he says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit. What he's saying is we need to hunger and thirst for the things of this mysterious, magical, incredibly powerful, loving thing called the Holy Spirit more than we thirst for wine, the things of the Spirit in the bottle. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? Doesn't that sound like exactly like what we do every Sunday when we come to church? Right, we come in this room, we just did it this morning. We started singing hymns and spiritual songs. We're making melody to the Lord with our heart. We're worshiping together and we're submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. And so when somebody comes into church, it's like, hey bro, so glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Are you okay? You look a little down. You look a little empty. Like, yeah, dude, I've been, I've been going through it this week. Come on, man, let's link arms. Let's go worship together, right? Come on, let's, let me pray for you, bro. What are you facing? Is, can we open up the word? Let's see what God has to say about what you're facing, right? And that's what church, maybe next week it's me and I'm coming in with like a little bit of a limp, like, dude, I went through it this week at, at, at work, 
They're trying to tell me all these things that are like, you know, these new mandates or whatever, and I feel like I might be falling for some deception. Can somebody speak some truth into my life? I'm about to lose my wife. Can somebody speak some truth into my, wife, my life right now? Like, tell me some convicting things. And let, come on, let's pray together. Let's worship the Lord. Let's be filled with his spirit. That's why we come to church, guys, to encourage each other. It's not just like, don't be sexually immoral. Don't be impure. Bad, bad, bad. It's like, come together and do good, good, good so that when you're awake, you can stay awake. Amen? We need to stay awake. Our eyes need to be open. Essentially what this is in these last couple verses is a to-do list for staying awake. And it's so, so relevant for us. I was just thinking about a to-do list that I have for my son. My third child, Isaac, is in kindergarten. So first year of school and he, he has to wake up at 6 a.m., to get ready to go to school. And he struggles to get up. Oh, does he struggle. And like, if I'm lucky when I come into his room to see if he's up, he's out of bed, if I'm lucky. And usually, he's just like standing there like, like good morning. And he's, I'm like, are you gonna get ready? Like, yep. And he just stands there. So I have to be like, okay, buddy, put your shirt on. Okay. All right, put your left sock on. Okay, put your right sock on. Like, there's not like, okay, let's go get, put cereal in the bowl. Okay, you're gonna need to get the milk. It's in the fridge. Okay, you're just sitting, you've been sitting there for five minutes. You don't have a spoon. Get a spoon. Put it in your mouth. Chew. Swallow. You know, like, it's like that every morning. It's the cutest thing ever because he's a kindergartner. But, you know, we need sometimes to be woken up and have a to-do list. Otherwise, we just stand there. And so what Paul is giving us here is this to-do list for being awake. He's saying, guys, wake up, be wise. The mark of a Christian, the mark of your life should be wisdom. Not just the pastor, not just the man of God, you should be wise. Make use of the time that God has given you because the days are evil. How many know Jesus is coming back soon? He's coming for his bride and people are going to hell. People that we love, right? Like, wake up, come on, let's go. Wake up, don't just stand there. Don't be foolish, Know God's will. You should be in the, in the Bible. That should be your favorite book, the book you read the most in your life, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So often we see, we treat the Holy Spirit as kind of like the weird uncle that comes on Thanksgiving like every other couple years. And you're like, hey, uncle, good to see you. You're so weird. <laughs> right? Stay on that side of the table. But no, no, no. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to know what he sounds like, know what he feels like, know what he does, know when he's convicting and know when he's comforting, right? All these things, the fruit of the Spirit should be flowing out of us. And we need to come to church weekly, just like you made a great decision to come to church today. That is so awesome. We're here to encourage each other and lift each other up. Why? To be the light in the world, in a dark, dark world. People like it's so easy to fall into this trap where like we're better than you are. We're the church, we're the Christians, the world just sucks. So like we're keeping our distance. And that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came into the world, right? And he came to help. And people are looking for answers. They're looking for purpose in all the wrong places. That's the good news. All this stuff that's kind of developed in our culture over the last couple of years seems to be really extra crazy. But it just shows that they're looking for Identity. They're looking for, to, be, to belong to a family and to feel love. Well, guess what? We have the answer, right? We have the answer. His name's Jesus. That would have been a good place to say amen, right? We have the answer. 
Don't look in all these other places. It's right here. And so lastly, I want to give just a quick guidance about how to go out into the world now that you're awake and you are equipped with the truth. Because your eyes are open. You have the truth in your Bible. And the truth is a very, very powerful thing. And it can be used for good and it can be used for bad. It could be used throughout history. People say, I have the truth and I'm going to use that for power. And I'm going to hurt people with the truth. And we can see now that our eyes are open looking in the world, we go like, oh yeah, there's darkness there and there's darkness there. Man, there's darkness everywhere. And you just start to yell at the darkness, man. Y'all are going to hell. You're wrong. I'm right. You're going to hell. I just wanted you to know. Bye. How many know that that is not effective? Nor is it what God calls us to do. God calls us to bring people into the kingdom, not push them out, right? But we will not and cannot compromise the truth in doing that. We're called to bring people into the kingdom. And so the way to do this is to come with the heart of a teacher, to come into your world, into your job, your school, your family with the heart of a teacher, heart of a shepherd. How many of you know that's the heart of Jesus? Jesus came and he's like, he could have easily been like, Literally everyone on earth is doing it wrong and I'm out. But he didn't. He said, literally everyone's doing it wrong on earth. Let me show you how to do it. Let me help you. Let me teach you some stuff. Right? Be humble with the truth. With my sweet little baby boy, Isaac, in kindergarten, my, the teacher at, at his school, her job is to teach him the truth, the very important truth about math, where two plus two equals four. It's not your opinion, doesn't matter what you feel about what the answer is, it's always going to be four, not three, not five, not seven. And if one day she says to, to my son, my sweet little baby boy, Isaac, what's two plus two? Here we go, come on, you got this. And he's like, oh, it's three. And if she were to say, you're wrong, what are you, an idiot? You're going to hell. Well, I'd be in that office like, you're fired. <laughs> Done. Don't you ever talk to my kid like that, Right? But she, of course she's not. She's incredible. We're so grateful for, for our teacher because she's like, okay, let's get your fingers out. One, two, one, two. Count them together. Two, three, four. Remember that? Let's practice it 50 times, right? So mommy and daddy don't have to at home. Like, thank you. Thank you to the teacher. That's so awesome. And he gets to learn the truth. But you know what? Also, if my son were to say, ah, I think it's three, and she were to be like, you know what? That's okay. Your opinion means that it is three and the next kid means that it's seven that's okay oh my gosh you are a horrible teacher no that's wrong this is a simple truth that has profound implications to your life so we need to come with the heart of a teacher to our world we need to look Jesus there's a part I can't remember where in the gospels where Jesus looked out onto the crowds with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd we cannot look out onto the crowds and be like, man, what a bunch of idiots. There's something wrong. There's something impure in our hearts if that's what, what we feel and think. We need to look with compassion because the days are evil. We want them to come into the kingdom. And so Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. And meekness is strength under control. You have the truth. It is strong. But you need to have control too. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Meekness is not strength out of control. We see that. We see that a lot in our world. And so this is what will be effective. Come with the heart of a teacher. This is what's going to help others to wake up 
and to arise from the dead. How sad is it that people are literally walking dead people, just walking through this world, ready to just jump off a cliff at any moment, and they are. It is our job, it is our call to expose them, to to make sure that they receive God's blessing instead of God's wrath, amen? That they they are are not going to miss out on God's inheritance, right? We wanna share, there's enough, plenty to go around. And so that's why we bring these hard truths and these hard teachings. That's why Paul is not sugarcoating it and I'm delivering it to you as well today because you are the light in the world, Jesus shining through you. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.